You're listening to Coding Blocks, episode 208. Whoa, 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 eight, whoa, eight. I think that's a, that's a big deal, right? Was that the melting voice? I think that was the melting voice. No, that was the melting voice. You no, did no, no. So I went back and I was trying to find the melting voice. Like, what what did the melting voice sound like? And I, and I listened to the time code that was given in Slack. And I guess I just didn't hear it. So I maybe that was like maybe what I think of as like the melting. I always think of like you know like a the 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 witch from the Wizard of Oz. I'm melting. You know, well, kind that of was thing. the eight eight eight. Just a second ago, I thought no, that's that was, what that was. I thought that was like me just like being cheery and screaming. Okay, oh, okay. So maybe that was maybe that was I, I'm melting and I didn't even realize it. That's right. So hot. It somebody so hot. left me out in the sun and I'm melting. I'm melting. <laughs> So, um, while I'm, before I completely melt though, uh, let me tell you this in case if you didn't know, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, uh, Stitchify, or, you know, wherever you like to find your, uh, your podcasts, man. And Skimetzer, if you're hearing us, uh, let us know if that was the melting voice you're talking about. Yeah, we need to know. Um, so on the Spotify and all that kind of stuff, if you, if you want to, you can send your feedback questions and rants, cause I got to read this to comments at codingblocks.net and make sure you follow us on Twitter at codingblocks. And, uh, I think it's my turn to talk, uh, about codingblocks.net, which has social links at the top of the page. Uh, and I'm Joe GPT. <laughs> I was going to make a similar joke. Oh, that's so good. Okay, well, I guess I won't now. Thanks. Thanks. Uh, and I, I'm Michael Outlaw. I'm Alan Underwood. Yeah. Yeah. Jeez. <laughs> yeah. Way to take away my thunder there. Just right, use so, the, word, the phrase, it's important a lot, and people will think you're actually GPT right now. Oh, that's oh. right. Well, that's it right. is important, so it makes sense. There you go. Hey, so... This particular episode, apparently, we're just going to talk about topics I found. Oh. Because <laughs> um, we were all supposed to come with topics to the table, and, and, and nobody else did. So. Well, you did such a good job. We didn't want – like, we weren't right. – You know, like, what kind of ego thing is this that you had to, like, call that out? We were fine with it. We were like, you know what? He's done such a good job. But, you know, you wanted the credit, so here you go. Yeah. So if this is a bad one, blame those guys is all I'm saying, right? Well, you know, now that you bring it up, now that you bring I'm glad that you did share that these are your topics because should anybody, like, hate these topics? Oh, man. <laughs> all right. So we had no review, sadly. So I guess uh, I guess we'll just go. Do we, do we have any news or anything? You did Orlando Code Camp. Um, anything else coming up or are we good? Did you see oh. somebody? Uh, go ahead. We did. Hold on. Um. Uh. One of our one of our Slack people. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, I don't know if it's Simon or Simone Cuomo. Has he's speaking or she is speaking at View JS in London, and has some free tickets to give away. So, please, if you're in the London area and you would like to attend the View JS conference, uh, drop us a message on this particular episode. Go ahead. What if, what if they tweeted using, uh, at coding blocks and also the hashtag for the conference? Oh, I like that. Yeah. 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 So we'll, we'll get that up in our show notes. If you're not, if you don't know what the hashtag and all that for the conference will be, but do that. Um, tweet us at coding blocks with this hashtag that we'll provide. 
And, you know, again, if you're in the London area, please do that. If you plan on attending that or you would like to attend that, do that. And then that way we can get somebody uh, some free tickets. So thank you very much for for doing that for the folks out there. Well, I'm surprised that like that was the choice of, uh, you know, handles to use because there was a, a, a hashtag that I thought we should definitely make trend, which was Alan heard it right. <laughs> so yeah that was gonna take off wasn't it uh, <laughs> viral to the core oh um, i mean it sounds it sounds it sounds good i don't yeah. know why you're so down on yourself today. <laughs> is it because yeah. you picked the topics yeah baby it's been, it's been a long week man all right so um all right so that out of the way I don't, did you did we have any other news jay-z you started to say something uh oh i was just gonna bring up something kind of funny that's kind of kind of news Okay. Um, did y'all see the story about uh, the person that uh, leaked some information, some um, confidential documents, like Pentagon documents? Might have heard something about it. Uh, in a Discord server. Yep. Might have heard something. For Minecraft. <laughs> was it a Minecraft one? <laughs> yeah, it was like a, just a small community Minecraft. It was just funny. There was some sort of dispute, some sort of argument, and someone's like, look, I got the proof. <laughs> <laughs> Boom. Yeah. Whoops. I heard that they they may have found who it was and yeah. have taken him into custody. Yeah, I saw the picture. They're twenty one years old. It's crazy. Ooh, that's that's brutal. Yeah, yeah. So what are you good. in for? <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Like, oh crap. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, I was playing Minecraft. Right. And somebody called me out, and I had to I had to throw it down there. Yeah, not a good idea. All right, so. Getting into topic number one. So I, I got to give a little bit of background here only because I got um, roped into coaching baseball again, which is hilarious because the first time like I walked up to, with my son on skills day to go out there and hit the ball and do stuff. And, and the guy sitting at the table is like, there, there's by the way, there's like 10 or 15 dads standing around and dude looks straight at me and is like, we need a coach. <laughs> what why why me like what the bald-headed dude like i look like a baseball coach or something that doesn't make any sense so anyway i got roped into it last time this time i go to the skills challenge thing or the skills day and and my wife's like look do not volunteer to be a coach and i'm like all right that's fine i'm gonna be quiet so i'm standing there and my son's telling everybody that, oh yeah, my dad coached last season. And, and so, and so that got the thing out there. My son leaves his bat at the thing. And so the coordinator of the league calls me up and was like, Hey, your son left the bat, his bat at the thing. You want to come by and get it? So I go over there and he's like, Hey, um, we need a coach. <laughs> I'm like, really, man? You come didn't on. volunteer. I didn't of- volunteer. I got voluntold. So, so yeah, I did it again. But here's the thing. So all that, it was the funny backstory. But truly, the most miserable part about being a coach of a baseball team is making the lineups. Like, who's going to play in what position each inning? And if you've got more than nine people, who are you rotating into other positions? Who's sitting on the bench? All this. And there's all these rules around it, right? Like, um, the same boy can't sit uh, more than one inning in a row and all this other kind of stuff. So there's like, there's all these rules. And it's it's embarrassing how much time I've actually spent making these lineups before every game, right? Like when I was bad at it, it was two hours. 
Now that I'm good at it, it's at least 45 minutes, right? And and in my in my engineering brain, I'm like, it's a rules engine. It's 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 truly like we talked about this way back in the day when if you're going in for I think it was when we were talking about interviewing. Um if somebody gives you a problem, write it out in like pseudocode, right? And and the whole time that I'm making these lineups, I'm thinking the same thing. I'm like there are nine positions. Each inning has to have one. You have certain boys that are going to play these positions. So I'm like slotting all this stuff out in pseudocode in my head. Right. And I'm like, man, I should, I should just write this. And if I write it, it'll be a super useful utility for me. But in, in, in my way of, it needs to scale to a billion users. Here right. It comes way for it. Now I'm like, well, man, we need some state. Right, like this has to be saved because you need to go from game to game. Like you don't want the same lineup every game and all that kind of stuff. And based Tonight, on like sick or availability, like that could change on the fly. So we're going to totally. need a Kafka stream. That's right. It'll like that's right. Take that in as it happens. I like how you're thinking. Right. So mm-hmm. so so I'm sitting here and I'm like, okay, well, well, they obviously need to be able to put their players in, right? And so this thing's growing, right? Like at first, all I need is a thing that has like six innings with slots for players in each inning. But then it's like, well, wait, 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 wait. What if we could put the players in and store them and then you could see how they like progress over time and you could even, hey, you could even rate their skills. Like how good are they, are they at, at fielding a ball on the infield? How good are they at feeling the ball in the outfield? Then you can have all these kind of algorithms that would like place people in the, in the, you hey, know, it's baseball. Let's collect statistics about him. All right. Well, little Johnny's up to bat and he's, uh, he's over <laughs> three on a Sunday, but it is a rainy, uh, you know, overcast day. So he, that improves his chances. He's, uh, he's, you know, seven out of eight on a rainy day. Right. So, so all this stuff happens and, and, and I bring this up for a couple of reasons. One, I could totally do the MVP of this thing, right? And I could probably do it in a couple of days and it would be reasonably good. And, and, and this is where my brain starts going crazy. And this is what I'm wondering if you guys ever hit this in your project. So Jay Z, I know does a lot of like little side projects all the time. And I think he actually finishes them. A small minority, which is still impressive. Outlaw, I don't know. Do you, do you write any side projects anymore? Anything like that? I mean, everything that I write would just be like to help my own life be better. I'm not trying to like put it out anywhere. So, so basically what this started as right for me was I need, I need to be able to do this quicker without so much um, mental anguish. The problem is I got to think about, I'm like, man, this is a big problem. There are a lot of teams in just this local area. Like, I, I don't know, maybe 50, of different teams that we could all play against. And I know all these other coaches are going through the same problems. I'm like, man, if there's that many in my one little spot here in Georgia, what if I sold this thing for like, I don't know, a buck a month, (laughs) two bucks a month. I don't know. I would probably pay $5 a month not to have to deal with it. I'm going to go and register roster, my roster.com. See, yeah. I even like the, I even like the domain, man. How'd you yeah. come up with that so fast? <laughs> so, so honestly, okay, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. What were you going to say? No, I mean, just, just like, as you were describing it though, I'm like, man, this sounds like something like it, it at most, if I weren't going to like just sh- write a shell script for this or something like that, like, maybe just break out Excel and, you know, do it there. 
Well, that's what I do. Yeah, that's what I do. I put it in Excel and then I create new tabs, I duplicate tabs, and I'm back. It's the 45 minutes then. It'd be formula driven. No, like I said, well, it's not a formula. It's not that, it's not that complex. I I list out the innings and then the players and then I, I start filling in positions, right? And then, and then I go back and I make sure that I don't have boys benched back to back innings. All it is a pain. I'm but, saying I would have spent the one time writing it, and then oh, that would be it. No, 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 no. I hate Excel for that reason. Like I don't want to deal with it that much. But, but also the reality is too, you want to track it from game to game, right? Like, do I? Yeah, like you don't want to bench the same kid in the first inning every game, right? Like that's demoralizing. Well, at least Mickey he really sucks. He does, but, but st- no. But like, I mean, you know, I mean, that's just the way the random numbers worked out. If that's the oh, way it worked out, that's the way it worked out. That's what it is. Yeah, you yeah, gotta so, get used to it, little Johnny. But but not a so rainy then, day, so you're not as good. It's so, it's so funny, man. But I mean, I even I have gone as far as benching my son in the first quarter just to show I'm not partial, right? <laughs> which is kind of stupid, I guess, because I've been dedicating all my time to doing this. At any rate, so I have I have so many thoughts around this, and I've paralyzed myself, which I do on occasion when it comes to side projects. Every time, um, I just so I could go ahead. No, finish. You just. I could do this and make it very simple, right? And and maybe have a three-game flow to where it, it will attract three games. Then I'm like, you know what? This would be a great project for me to finally sit down and do the YouTube series that I think people would actually get a lot of valuable stuff out of, right? You've got a back end. You've got a front end. You've got all this kind of stuff. I think that's like legit, I just want to know, like, have you already, like, evaluated the different options and decided on the authentication mechanism? And, you know, because there's going to be a a billion concurrent users. I know, man. I know. This is where it gets hard. (laughs) So I actually thought about, hey, what if I had chat GPT, like, create me a form? and It's really good with HTML. Yeah, see, because that's another thing, right? Like, let's let's be realistic here. So, I'm somewhat joking about this. Outlaw's somewhat joking about this, but the reality is, this is really how my brain works, right? Like, I'm going to, I need to wire it all up, and there's going to be 20 tiers and 85 services or something. I don't know. What if you just went to Chat GPT, gave it the rules, and said, create create a list for me that follows these rules? That might work, and that might really upset me a little bit if it was that easy. Oh, <laughs> but, but in all seriousness, so if I, if I decided to do this, I'd have to decide on a back end, right? Um, is it a SQL database? Is it a no SQL database? What, what is it? Well, this like, is one where you need to understand your, your data use case and like <laughs> how you plan to query it and how often do you plan to write to it? Or maybe you don't plan to write to it except for that one time, initial time and everything else is reads. So it's going to be really understand important to understand, uh, you know, those, those access patterns. I like where you're going with this, right? <laughs> you're like, welcome. Yeah, designing data intensive applications. I mean, this is baseball. It's stats heavy. So, um, but, but then if you're going to do a front end, right, what are you doing it then? You're doing react, you're doing, <laughs> you're doing angular, 
uh, does it need to be on a mobile device? <laughs> like, what are you going to, I could go the route that Jay Z started off years ago, which was, um, what was it? Progressive web apps, PWAs. Oh yeah, man. I mean, like so there's sad. all these options. So I don't know, man. Like I've seriously, this is the one project that I've thought, man, this is actually sort of complex enough to, to make something, See, this is where I would I would just focus on getting the rules engine right first. Just however you want to write it, you know, shell script, Perl, Python, Kotlin, C sharp, whatever. I don't care. Write it and get that right first, because all the other stuff that you're talking about is irrelevant to that, and that's the need that you have. It is, yeah, it totally is. You know what? I'm not even joking. I think this is a really good case. So ChatGPT, because kind of the, like the thing is, that it's hard to even kind of organize the rules. So this is a case where just for I typed in like, can you generate an algorithm that lists the kids and their list their position uh, preferences and assigns them to positions on the baseball team, and it gave me a little algorithm in Python. But then you can go in there and say, oh, and also uh, the kid can't play the same position twice, and the pitcher can't do more than three innings, and you can kind of like add on these things because it's stateful, right? So you can kind of keep building up and building up, and once that you're comfortable that it's got an understanding of it, then you can say, "Not doing in Kotlin." Oh, that's really it's interesting. It's wonderful because you don't you don't have to. That's the whole thing with the, that I like about it. It's like you don't have to be well organized. Like you can just kind of talk with this thing like in English until it gets it. Hmm. I may have to try that out, like, and, and just see where it takes me. Because it, the interesting thing is, what's even a bigger pain is when you get everything set. You spent forty five minutes if you're good at it. You print the thing out, you take it out there, and then what you said was actually really funny. The pitcher can only go three innings. Actually, it's more complicated than that. Um, it, without going too crazy on it, there are pitch counts and the number of days a kid has to rest before he can play again, right? So if you go over 30 pitches, the kid has to rest a full day. So that means that he cannot play tomorrow night, right? If he goes over 45 pitches, then he has to rest two days and, and there, and it keeps going like that. So it might be that you had this kid in there for three innings, but he threw 30 pitches and you need him tomorrow night. So you got to change it all right then anyways. So that entire thing that you spent 45 minutes on creating, you got to now just go destroy it on the fly while you're standing there trying to get everything set back up. That's why you as the coach need to like walk out there, you know, you pull up your pants, <laughs> you get a big wad of, you know, chew in your mouth, you know, go up there and then like start kicking some dust on the umpire's shoes. Just like, stupid. Shiver, shiver. And, it, and you point to the pitcher and you're like, go to the dugout, you know. I, I've seen a thing or two. I know how this works. <laughs> Outlaw coach last year. Um, so, yeah, I don't know, man. It seems like one of those things that is actually complex enough that would be an interesting series that you could do to show a lot of different pieces. I think it's complex enough but small enough to do it as long as I didn't try and scale it to a billion users. But what about kind of thing. any of the generators that are already out there? I have not found generators that take all the rules into consideration. That's the problem. So there are things out there to where you can like plug players into different positions and then even print it out. Like they'll even have a nice little baseball diamond and all that kind of stuff, but nothing that gives you like good inning to inning game to game type flows. And I've looked cause I was going to buy them. <laughs> I was like, man, I don't want to do this anymore. I just want to push a button. 
don't know. Now you got me all excited about just getting a big wad of chew and walking out there, pulling my pants up and like kicking somebody's and like dust all over. <laughs> That's what I want to do now. So, so I guess the, the other part of this though, was like anytime that you guys ever create something, do you ever think about like, maybe I should sell this on, on like some sort of subscription basis or, Never. or Hey, you buy the software or any of that. Nope. Sometimes, 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 but I usually try not to think about businessy type stuff. Cause I just think like, so like, I don't want to maintain it. I don't want any projects that are going to last like months and months and months. So a lot of times like when I'll have an idea for a business or something, I think like, do I want to do this 40 hours a week for next uh, 10 years? And the answer is almost always no. So you, so I actually, you are probably very qualified to talk about this because you actually did one and sold it. Like, did it become like a, a chore that you just didn't even want to deal with at some oh, point? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, it was pretty much abandoned by the time I sold it. <laughs> uh, well, it worked out really nicely for me. Yeah, I was going to say. So even even knowing that, like, how much time do you think you put into that particular site at the time? Oh, I, I don't even know. Uh, in the beginning, like, probably more than 100 hours. Okay. And then maintaining it over time, an additional... Yeah, I definitely build in, you know, new features and stuff. So I, you could probably guess at like another 50, 60 hours, something like that over time, maybe up to another 100. Okay, so 200 hours total. And then you were able to sell the thing. Yep. And you actually ran ads on it. Did you make any money with that at the time? Bare, like, I, I think it was like 100 to 200 bucks a month, something like that. Okay, so you were, uh, all right, so how long were you making that? Like a year? Oh, no, a couple of years, like three, four years, five years. Okay, so for so for three years, you were making 100 to $200 a month. Yeah, call it a thousand, a thousand. Back in the 80s, too, so like he was rolling in it. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah, this is actually what? This probably had like a thriller jacket. You know, like a Mike, went out and got a Michael Jackson thriller jacket with it and the pants that's, to match, you know? That's yeah. Right. Actually, it was right driving a DeLorean. It was right around the time we started this podcast, I think, is is about when you had sold that thing. Some, yep. Somewhere around there. So so that was about nine years ago. So you made between three and $4,000 off of it in ad revenue. And then we don't need to talk about how much you sold it for, but do you think in the end it was worth the, the 200 hours you put into it? Oh, yeah. I mean, I learned a lot doing it, and uh, it was cool to you know get money coming in. Like, you know, it's just inspiring and fun and whatever. It was not cool doing taxes, <laughs> you know, just kind of complicated things for like a thousand bucks a year. It's almost like, ugh. yeah, um, but uh, it was fantastic to get to sell it uh, when I didn't get out of it. And uh, that was nice. I didn't feel bad. Um, It's kind of like one, it's one thing when you're excited about a project and you're passionate and you're going for it and people are writing in and asking questions or having corrections or, you know, just want to know stuff about it and you're excited about it. And it's another one you're like. Four years in, people are asking, you know, other questions or, you know, like writing stuff. Like I would get sometimes like people will write and say like, Hey, I think this calculation is wrong. And then I would spend an hour trying to figure out if they were right or wrong and whatever. And I, you know, I had a bunch of tests though. I got a ton of test data from other tools and brought it in. So I had actually, this is the only project where I probably ever had a hundred percent test coverage on. And mm. I could do it because there were like no third parties, you know, there's like, there was no database. It was just code. And, uh, so, you know, if someone said something was wrong, I would like, take their example and try to prove it or not. But uh, three, four years in, it was like, oh, geez. So, like, I, I think I set up a rule in my email. Where I was just like, sorry, I, I can't look at these anymore. I just don't care. <laughs> and it's not to be rude or anything, but it's like, I, you know, I just didn't want to spend an hour or something just to find out that it's someone else who, you know, was a little bit confused about the formula or whatever. Right. Right. So, so that's interesting. I mean, 
the the approach you took was not a subscription basis. It was basically, hey, here's this free utility. And and the best way I can probably put it to anybody out there, the the tool that he had was sort of similar to um the epoch converter. If you if you Google epoch converter, you can plug in a number and it'll tell you what day of the year it was, right? And what time and all that kind of stuff. The tool that Jay-Z did was similar to that. And I'm assuming actually, let me go there. Epoch converter. The site's not up anymore. Yeah. Oh, yours is it? Mine is it is. gone? Yeah, it's gone. Oh, wow. So Epoch Converter is actually nicer. It doesn't look like they have any ads at all. Yeah, that's a pretty great site. Why I use uh, X64 encode and decode all the time. Um, that's one of my favorites. Oh, I could buy the domain back for $1,500. Yeah, that's crazy. So, so the interesting thing about this is, though, you got you ran ad revenue. You didn't provide a subscription. It was just a utility that people could use, and you still ended up making a decent amount of money. not hey, a ton of money. I think it is still up though. Am I looking at the wrong one? Hold on a second. Colormine.com? I it was .org, wasn't it? Yeah, it's .org according to the GitHub. Yeah, it's .org, dude. Oh yeah, it's still up. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> don't even remember Oops. your thing. <laughs> okay, so we don't we don't have to uh, we don't have to skate around it, but yeah. So it's a, it's a, a color converter, right? And so that's interesting. I mean, you did it, but you haven't really done one since that, that was any type of thing that you were trying to make money off of, right? It's because all this coding box is taking up so much time. It yeah. does take up time. <laughs> By the way, it did used to be colormind.com, and you can actually see uh, the, the about page still says, yay, email me at admin at colormind.com. Oh, that's interesting. Yep. Funny. But uh, yeah, uh, it was uh, it was related to some stuff I was doing kind of tangentially for work. I wanted to do like a color kind of search engine so you could like pick a color and kind of search. And so I'd like learned all this stuff about color and like it, there's a it's really, you know, I, I thought it was really interesting. There's a lot of different stuff about how, um you know, you kind of think naively like RGB to RGB values. There's a red, green and blue value. If the numbers are similar, like 255, 255, 255 and 255, 255, 254, probably pretty close, right? Uh, and it is kind of most most of the time, but there's cases where it's really far off or like numbers that are really close look totally different to your eye. And that's because RGB is designed for pixels in your monitor. Right? It's not that's not how your eye sees colors. It's just how we happen to map it. So uh, it's surprisingly off in some ways. And so I got all into figuring out like, well, how do our eyes look? And, you know, what are these other color spaces? And there's a bunch of them. There's CMYK, which is great for color like printing. And it's because it's additive. You actually add the the cyan, the magenta, and the yellow, and the or whatever the K was. I forget. Um, together in order to uh, to make those colors, and there's just a bunch of them. And some are designed to kind of map closer to your perception. So all you have to do really is just convert one color space to another, and then you can easily do that distance formula and see if two two are similar. But then there's all sorts of parameters and like this one lets you specify the white balance number or whatever, or the color of the light in the room. And and it gets kind of fancy. So I had some fun with that. But, but after you did that, you've never really done anything else that, that you were trying to, to publish, to make money on. Right. No. And I found um, what happened too. So um, part of it was I stopped working at the company. and I didn't have a need for a color search. And also I found uh, that people had built, uh, and when I started, they didn't exist, but when, um, by, by the time I was done with it, people had built color search engines that were actually pretty good. And they were doing things in a smarter, kind of just different way um, where they were um, like part, the part that I was kind of missing is like uh, I wasn't really rounding the images very well. And so I would like literally look 
say, you, you know, you pick a color orange and say, I want things that look uh, similar to this. And so I would do that uh, by taking all the colors in an image and then seeing, you know, how close you were to the closest colors. And I would say, okay, these are the top hundred items that are closest to your color. But it didn't really do a good job of like taking into account like uh, the amount of color in the fo- the image and stuff. And like if you had an image just like a big gradient, like what you really need to do is kind of like round that image down to like a smaller palette of colors and figure out the percentage there. And there's just more work to be done. And I was like, uh, I'm kind of done with this project. I don't really want to attack it from that angle. And especially when there's other competitors that are now doing this and doing it better. So, so when you finished it though, like any other ideas that you ever had afterwards, like, um, I mean, I know you've done some that were associated with the show, like, uh, the, the podcast player thing and all that. Oh yeah. Like, was there any reason why you never went that route where it was like, Hey, let's try and make some money off of it or any of that. Yeah, I still think about QIT all the time and I want it. Like I was just trying to like figure out some stuff about um Playwright tool or Pino, Apache Pino. And I was like, man, I wish I could search for all the podcasts where people were interviewed or talking about like Pino or Playwright because those are things I, I need to learn now and there's just no way to do it. Uh the thing is it was uh kind of a lot of work to maintain and curate a list of podcasts. So uh, you know, a lot of podcasts oh, they only have seven episodes and they disappear. And so there's new ones starting up every year, and so there's all this content. But you really have to spend a lot of time curating it. And but, in, in the meantime, you're paying Elasticsearch, you're paying for a database, you're paying yeah. for hosting. And so you're wondering, it's like, you know, what's the, how much time am I really going to put into this for the next 10 years? Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, it, it's hard. That's, that's honestly one of the reasons why I have a hard time starting side projects because I'll get all gung-ho on it for a week. And then it's like life takes over and I don't have time. And then by the time I come back around to it, I can't even remember what I did. Yeah. It, it's hard. Yeah, I love game development, but for me to do even a kind of like a, a simple version of a game that I would like really like to to do and make, I mean, I'm probably looking at like at least a year of like five to 10 hour weeks, you know, to have something that I would feel comfortable publishing. And I, I don't want to commit to that. There's other stuff I want to do. Yeah. And five to 10 hour weeks in a year, you're talking 250 plus hours. Like that's, yeah. that's not a small amount of work. Yeah. There is a, a Pino podcast, so I'm trying to remember what it was called. Yeah, there's um, just uh, one just started. Um, they're on like episode two now. Um, <laughs> they're deep. It yeah. had well, it it's had, Tim Berglund. Ah, okay. From Star Tree. Yeah. Yep. Uh, it's the one I'm thinking of. I don't remember the name though. Real time analytics. That should be a link in the show. Let me get it. There you go. Yep. And Tim Berglund's the guy. He used to do the streaming analytics podcast from Kafka. Uh, so I listened to all those episodes that he did. And so now he moved over to the Pino people. That's excellent. Yeah. He all actually right. did a, a really good, uh, <laughs> here, here's a free tip for you. Uh, the first episode of real time analytics is the only one I've listened to. Uh, but he does a really good job of explaining what real time analytics are. Cause obviously, you know, real time and computers doesn't really exist. So it's just kind of talking about, um, and there's two kind of real times and I, I'd never heard this explained. And that's why I want to kind of bring it up. It's like, when people say real-time analytics, there's kind of two things that people might have in mind. One is I have the data as soon as it happened. So I have the analytics about what just happened, you know, half a second ago or three seconds ago or whatever your definition of real-time or near-real-time is. But then there's also a different definition of real-time analytics, which means that it's fast enough that I can query and see my results within a couple seconds. So it's less about how stale the data is and more about how fast I can query it. 
Huh. And I, that was a surprise to me because I had always thought of like real time as being low latency uh, in terms of like the, the 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 data that you're looking at, how fresh it is. Yeah, that's the way I'd always thought of it, too. It's like however fast you're able to get the data in, the, as soon as the data is in, it's available to do whatever the thing is you're trying to do. Yeah. Display it, query it, whatever. Um, going back to your thing, though, Alan, you know, I, f- seriously, from my point of view, I never have like thought, oh, I should make this available for sale or whatever. Like, I, I just, I guess that, like, you know, so in your rules engine example, right? if I were in the, in your shoes in that situation, what would end up happening is I would focus on that rules engine. I would get that and then be like, okay. And I I would, yeah, I would be like, okay, I I got what I needed and I'm going to move on. And it would never, it would, I see people that put out apps on the app store, for example, or whatnot. And I'm like, yeah, I guess, yeah, I guess you could do that. It never occurred to me. It's a lot of extra work or it's a lot of work to take it from that script that does what you need to something polished that you can, that you can actually put out there, whether it be for free or for sale or what, but it is a lot of extra work. And that's, I guess the thing that I've noticed and we, we see it as developers too, right? Like, I mean, man, the three of us have worked on so many data projects out over the years there's always like this disjointed cash song. (laughs) I've dated everything, man. It's pretty close. Um, but like if you're just trying to move data, it's like everything's so disjointed. You got to do sort of the same thing over and over in slightly different ways. And it's always sort of bespoke code. That's what I've noticed with the baseball thing that like every, uh, I've been in two different leagues and they use like four and five apps to get stuff done. And it's like, man, if somebody would just create a thing, because they all need the same information, right? And they're all sort of providing one slice of a feature. And it's like, why is this so disjointed and so broken up? Like if, and that's where my brain comes in is I'm like, I, I know how to glue this stuff together. I know how I could make a good one, but, but that's not a small amount of work on, on what seems like a, a decently small problem. I just know behind the scenes from all the stuff that we've worked on over the years, that that is a ton of work to make all that stuff work together and keep it working for, you know, three years down the road. I right. thought I love uh Netflix and uh, Vercel, uh, and there's a couple like Firestore, like a uh, Firebase is a great um, example of things where you can do stuff for free. Uh, so even like database hosting, you can get um, some limited database hosting for free. But then you also run the risk of things like uh, a lot of people do the stuff on that free tier of Heroku. Remember that? And then, you know, a couple of years later, they pull the plug. And so there's people who haven't touched side projects in years have been running for free and they just don't want to migrate. They don't want to get back in the headspace because they moved on to other things. So, yeah, yeah it's tough. Yeah, I, I think uh, there, there was somebody it might have been from Amazon that said that um, software engineering is more about it, it's the maintenance and the keeping things running that is more difficult than anything else. Right. Adding features is cool and all, but keeping stuff alive is way harder, which, you know, there's tools out there that help with that nowadays, like Kubernetes and whatnot, but that's still not a free lunch either. So, yep. you know, 
Right, like, so, how many projects I've started where like just on the couch, put on a movie I don't really want to watch, and I just like download some new framework or some new library, or, like see if I can make something cool happen, and then never touch it again. Yeah, totally. I, I've did it. I remember Meteor JS when I was on vacation years and years ago. Yeah, I was like, oh, this thing's the best thing since sliced bread, right? And then yeah, I don't know. I haven't touched it in eight. Pour years. one out for Meteor. Yeah. yeah, is it gone? It must be. I don't know, but I mean, like, when's the last time you talked about it? And that's, yeah, that's why good. you killed it. You, you're the response. You're the responsible person for it. Yeah, my bad. They're still around. Yeah, are they? I'm sorry. Yeah. Hey, see, it wasn't me. <laughs> um. All right. So the next topic, and this one's pretty interesting because this is this is almost like a a PSA for all the developers out there using these tools like ChatGPT and Copilot and all that stuff. So there's an article on Mashable, and I'm sure there's a million other articles on it now. Um, Samsung employees were using chat GPT and had a few sensitive data leaks, a few that they've let us know about, right? There's probably more that we don't know about. Um, But the gist of it is this, like developers were sending things to chat chat GPT to do things like, Hey, um, make this more efficient, right? Optimize this code or whatever. Well, when you do that, you're sending that data out to the cloud to an AI thing that's going to ingest that and use it, right? So that's one. The record, yeah. the audio recording that was sent. Yeah, they, they sent somebody decided they wanted to what? take an audio recording and turn it into a presentation. So they sent a sensitive audio recording up there. Which of course, Chat GPT is going to take it. I would just love to meet the person that thought this is a good idea. Oh, I mean, I mean this is totally something I would do. Just uh, not really? work stuff, but not personal work. stuff. Oh my gosh, absolutely! Like um, uh, my wife always she complains about uh, YouTube videos. She doesn't want to watch a video. She would rather just read it. And so, like, something I would do for her is like you can post paste. There's a tool you can use to paste a video link, and it'll generate a transcript. She much prefers that for some crazy reason. I don't understand. Well, well some YouTube videos already have the closed captioning on it. Yeah, yeah, but, but it's but not she'd as have good to as watch it. She wants to read it. Yeah, she wants to read it. Um, and yeah, as fast as she can read. It. And sometimes they have transcripts, but um, ChatGPTs or OpenAI's Whisper, uh, what you call it, uh, their Whisper API is really great. I don't, does your wife understand what YouTube is? Yeah. She, hates it. <laughs> she wants to read thing. it. <laughs> yeah. And I totally get to like, there's a, sometimes there's a video that's like an hour and a half long and she wants to like get, well, you, you know, don't watch the to, hour and a half long ones. Yeah. You have to scrub through, you know, skim through whatever, but you can, you know, yeah, you can, can blast control through F through there pretty quickly. Yeah. yeah, totally. Yeah. So, so I think two of the ones that they mentioned here were sensitive source code or, or, proprietary source code that was pushed out there to chat GPT. So that's now in, in an open space that shouldn't be um, the one that was optimized some code and then the, the audio recording. So, you know, again, this is more of a PSA. If you're using tools like chat GPT or copilot or any of these other ones out there, whisper AI, uh, pay attention to what you're pushing out there, right? If your company finds out that you're copying source code out to one of these engines to see if you can make it faster, they're probably going to be pretty ticked off if one of their proprietary algorithms was, was let out into the wild, right? 
Yeah, totally. And, you know, I think it's a good thing to to remind people, especially larger companies, a lot of them uh, use tools for like digital loss prevention that do things like go out and they scan their network traffic. They scan their um, basically everything that's leaving their network or being uh, uploaded, being emailed uh, for basically artifacts that could be recognizable. So things like source code, for example, would be something that would make sense. Samsung is watching their network traffic to see if any of the source code uh, leaks. And so I assume that's how they caught it. Maybe they caught one thing or heard caught wind of one thing, and they went back and looked at their you know logs or something and looked for uh, anything else in there to figure out the people that were involved, uh, which is kind of scary. And you know these people, like I, I presume, they weren't do, trying to do anything malicious; they were just trying to you know get their work done. Or maybe you can imagine someone taking like a, an hour long video and being like, "Hey, um, step one, transcribe. Step two, summarize." <laughs> Mm-hmm. And uh, that's pretty appealing, you know, and they may not realize that they're literally uploading all that stuff to the cloud. But it's kind of scary, too, when you think about um, like uh, we've talked about Copilot before, you know, or, or like who knows how many plugins you have installed for VS Code. Like who, I don't even remember, you know, you could obviously go look, but I've installed a ton of uh, extensions over the years in VS Code. How do I know that one of them hasn't gone malicious in the latest update? Uh, is now sending whatever's in the file context uh, out to the internet to some something doing something bad with it. I don't even know. I mean, that's why I'm, uh, you know, let's take it to a different platform like uh, Chrome extensions or Firefox extensions. Yeah. I am super cautious about, you know, what I install and if I install any, you know, what, what's, what's even enabled versus, you know, I might keep it, but not enable it until I need it. You know, yep. I'm the same way. I absolutely think about what Joe just said a second ago with the, what are they doing on an update? Because when you first get it, it's probably fine, right? Like you look at it, you check it out. Hey, everything's good. But if you're not, if you're not paying attention every time you update one of those things, you don't know what gets slipped in there. Right. And, and with the way that, We've all sort of been programmed to update everything every time something comes out. I mean, it, it's almost uh, people don't pay attention anymore, right? Like that's that's kind of what it's getting to. So, yeah, yep. it's it's dangerous. Like, be careful with these tools. I mean, Copilot. I think hey, you've worked with it the most, Joe. Um, I think it's got things in there to where it can say like, "Hey, don't scan this um, this code or whatever for for information," right? Like, there's settings in there for that kind of stuff. Yep, and it's up to them to enforce those settings and deal them correctly, you know. And hope that it's right. Yeah. 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 By the way, one of my tips, I'll go ahead and bust it early. Uh, Have you seen it? Um, AWS just announced a competitor to, um, to, uh, what you call it, to Copilot. Uh, I haven't tried it yet, um, so I probably shouldn't give it a tip, but Code Whisperer is the name of it. And uh, what's kind of interesting about it is that it looks like Copilot, except that it's only a few languages. So it's really trimmed down on what they what they use to train it. But here's what I think is cool. Well, two, two things. One, it's free, uh, at least for now. Second, it seems to have a lot of really good tips specific to AWS. So they have like, I don't know what they did to make it do this, but it looks like it's got a lot of information about best practices specifically for AWS. So if you're working with AWS heavily, it might be worth checking out that one uh, in addition to or instead of Copilot. So it's kind of interesting. Uh, When bots compete. Can you imagine like Copilot says, oh, you should do this. And Whisper says, no, 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 you should do this. And Copilot's like, no, you shut up. It should be like this. And then, you know, before you know, you know, 
you can't even park in the 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 red zone, the white zone. White zone is for immediate loading and unloading, I think. And then the red, <laughs> no, the red zone is for immediate. I don't remember. Yeah. Well, well, you, I'm sure you guys have seen all the stuff about like all the competitors of Chat GPT at this point, right? Like Google put out Bard AI, and and I'd heard like they rushed it out the door, like it wasn't nearly as polished, and yeah. Yeah. Well, so here's something funny. So I know I said I was going to stop talking about this, but I got one more for you. Uh, so ChatGPT V3, I forget. Uh, I heard some stats around like how much it costs just to train it. Um, so like, kind of uh, like I don't fully understand it, but the part of the, the deal with the GPT stuff is like it's super expensive to train. It takes a lot of processing power just to bring in all the information that makes this large language model work. Uh, and so every it was like hundreds of millions of dollars or something to change uh, to to train GP three and four. Um, I, I'll try to find the exact numbers, but um, Alpaca, which is a project from MIT, is similar large language model, but they trained it in a fraction of the time, so it cost significantly less. And I'm going to try and find those numbers. It'll probably take me a while. Um, however, the way they trained it is they used GPT. To train it oh so they so they cheated yeah they cheated so there's a little bit of controversy there um but i mean if it works it works right but you can imagine uh you know if you're barred or you're one of these other tools like you can get a leg up just by using the existing tools to train the new ones yeah but then you're gonna have this situation where like the bots are training the bot like yeah it, feedback loop right yeah yeah exactly like you're yeah. gonna you're gonna start it's like if you created if you automatically how to say this? So you 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 want to generate uh, test data. So you 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 create the test data to model your real world data. But then the next instance is going to build off of that test data to create quote you know mock you know something that looks like real data. And like you keep going back and forth, and before you know it, you just got like this smooth bit of data that's you know I, I don't know I I mean you actually yeah. raised this question back a few episodes back when you asked like. Uh, you know, are we gonna are we gonna live in a time where it's like okay, uh, after you know, twenty 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 two is like you know, okay from now on we can't trust any data to train any of these bots because we don't know like is that data generated by a bot or you know how how do we know what it what it came from so instead you know you can only train the bots off of data prior to twenty twenty two. Yeah, and the feedback loop is scary. Right? Well, I mean, the interesting thing about what you started with there, though, is it took $100 million or whatever it did to, to train ChatGPT. And MIT did it for a lot less by piggybacking. But did they really? Like, if they had gotten to the same endpoint without using ChatGPT, would they have had to have spent $100 million to do it? Would it have been possible? I guess this is a question. Like, did did they find anything new or were they just able to get where they were because they were able to leverage it? Right. Like, I mean, that's always been the argument with like things like cryptocurrency or machine learning or any of that kind of stuff. It uses a ton of electricity, right? Like a lot of it. So all these technologies that are out that are out there aren't cheap and they put a real hit on, um, on the energy grid and on, on heating and cooling type stuff, right? Like it heats up the areas where they are. I mean, 
I, it's been years since I've looked into any of this kind of stuff, but like a lot of the data centers were put in, in really cold climate areas. And I'm sure they're having an impact on those areas, just like, you know, global warming or anything would from, from driving cars and stuff. Those areas aren't so cold anymore. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. It's, it's pretty interesting. Like if you were to take it even deeper than that and be like, Hey, what, what is the impact on the actual world from, from running this kind of stuff 24 hours a day? I bet there is. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, by the way, I got those numbers. If you want them, we want them. Uh, it's not, I was way off on how much cost. Uh, so the, the estimate, it's not officially public, but people, um, kind of put together based on how long they said to train it. Uh, and then of course, uh, there we go. GPT three is estimated to have cost four point six million dollars just in like from the time they hit like train in <laughs> the train button uh till it finished. Uh GPT four took thirty four days and oh sorry, no dang it, this is GPT three again. I have a bad link. I don't know how much GPT four costs, but uh it looks like it's about uh a hundred trillion parameters, whatever that means. So it took longer to train GPT-4. It's a lot bigger. Alpaca, the MIT, uh, uh, which call it, um, their version of it, $600. That's yeah. pretty significant. Yep. I, I don't mean, know. four million is not as much as what I thought it was going to be. Like, Yeah, I didn't either. I thought it was way more. But, I mean, if you're just talking about compute time and it crunching data, Maybe that's, I mean, that's, that's a decent amount of processing. Yeah. Well, I imagine some of that cost too is just for the storage of that data right. to train it on. Right. Right. Or uh, is so the article I was looking the, at is just talking about compute. Yeah. Okay. okay. Yeah. So pretty interesting, but, but I, the, the original thing of that is be careful what you're doing with some of these things, right? Like yeah. you definitely don't want to be putting either your sensitive data or your company sensitive data out there for these things to, to go through. Right? And that's why as like an extra bit of uh, like as a safety net, as a bit of a precaution, what I did was um, when I created my account, I just signed in as Alan Underwood and then, yeah, that's a good way. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I got nothing to hide. I got all my roster lineups out there. It's fine. <laughs> all right. Well, um, Hey, let me jump into this before Joe tries to, Sorry. So, uh, <laughs> if you haven't, you should be sorry. If you haven't already left us a review, we would greatly appreciate it. Um, we didn't get any for this episode. So, you know, oh, sad. I'm melting. Um, so, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we would, we would greatly appreciate it if you would leave us a review. Um, you can find some helpful links at, um, chat GPT slash review. No, um, <laughs> www.codingblocks.net slash review. And, uh, yeah, with that, we head into my favorite portion of the show. Survey says, okay. So, uh, this is episode 208. So according to Tetco's trademark rules of engagement, um, what are those, by the way, we got a question about that. Thank you, James Scheider. At oh, really? I'm on Twitter. Yep. Oh, this goes back. This goes back. Uh, so I could be saying his handle wrong, but it was th- that's how at least I think it was pronounced. Supposed to be pronounced, and he hasn't ever corrected me in all of this time. But <laughs> that was his handle on Slack, and he uh. Uh, he or she, I don't know. I'm I'm I don't. I could be. Uh, I don't remember. But um, 
he or she hit hit me up on Slack because we were because in the there was a period of time where we would before we you know did the quote to co trademark rules of engagement where it'd be like oh who went first last time who went right. first this time and so this person wrote in on Slack and was like hey why don't you just go by even an odd numbers of the episode number so if it's an odd number episode well Alan's name is A that's the first letter of the alphabet so he's an A. So he's so he's the odd I'm the one he's the yeah. odds, and J is an even number in the alphabet. So Joe would be the even numbered episodes. So all the even numbers are Joe, and all the odds are Alan. And that's what that's what Tatutko's trademark rules of engagement are. And that's I, been you, like a couple of years running now, I think, right? Yeah, but you know, I, I I'm I am perfectly willing to you know give credit where credits due. It was it was a great idea. I didn't come up with it, and I'm willing to say like, hey. And he's been immortalized. Yeah. Yes. Or she. He, she. Don't know. Yeah. Been a while. Um, so, yeah. Tateco's trademark rules of engagement. Jay-Z, you are first. And um, I think you got a winning streak, if I remember no, right, no. right. I am on a one-game winning no. streak, sir. I, I oh. lost so bad last Oh, game. yeah. Yes. You got a winning streak to start. That's right. Um. Okay. So... Let's start with, let me see here. <laughs> okay. You ready for this, Jay-Z? Here you go. Let me find it here. I'm going to get my answers pulled up so I have it at the ready. Name a liquid in your kitchen. First of all, I should say, like, we've surveyed 100 participants. <laughs> Name a liquid in your kitchen that you hope no one ever accidentally drinks. Oh geez, um, oh, I cannot geez, stress enough. Kitchen. Oh geez, there's two answers. Um, I don't know if people keep one of them in their kitchen, so I'm gonna go with. Oh, this is so painful. Okay, I'm gonna go with soap. Soap. Okay. Okay, that was the only other one I had. I'm gonna say bleach because I can't think of anything. Yeah, that's why I didn't know if people kept it in there. I Dang mean, it, they probably do. They probably do. Maybe I don't know. I don't. <laughs> okay. Um. Yeah, I don't know. That's kind of disturbing. Be careful if you go to Alan's house. Is the takeaway? Yeah, yeah. bleach. So in the kitchen. I mean, it's everywhere. <laughs> um. Okay. So so we're gonna go bottom up. Number five answer on the board, baking grease for two points. What? That might actually, yeah. <laughs> Alan's like, I don't know. That might actually be good. Okay. Be the worst thing ever. <laughs> uh, I This one I don't get. Number four answer on the board, soy sauce for four points. Will you pour it in a different bottle? Like, I mean, I know you're not supposed to, quote, drink it. But you, I mean, you do consume it, right? Like that one's yeah. okay. Yeah. Cooking oil for number three, sixteen points. Vinegar, number two answer for thirty points. Uh oh, soap is gonna hurt. <laughs> number one answer on the board, Mister Joe Zach comes out with Woo! a commanding lead. 46 points. Oh, that's 46. Oh, that's what I was going to say. It, when you took that, I was like, well, bleach is my only other option. I got nothing. It's the Tutko, man. Tutko. Man, that's rough. 
Okay, so this is your chance to redeem yourself, Alan. Ooh, that's rough. All right. Okay. It'd be some obscure question where there's like 20 answers and they all are two points. That's what's happening here. Name something that might come out of your nose when you laugh. Really? Um, you didn't like that question? <laughs> uh, now I got to think about it. <laughs> Snot. Okay. Oh, that's a good answer. Uh, milk. <laughs> milk. Ooh, okay. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Number five answer on the board. Breath for three what? points. Hmm. What? Right. I mean, your breath out of your nose. I mean, it happens, but why would you uh, think I mean, that? Yeah, it's weird. That's a weird angle. Number four <laughs> answer on the board. Soda for four points. Good okay. answer. Dr. Okay. Pepper specifically. Yeah, that'll burn. Number three answer on the board. Water for five points. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Number two answer on the board. Milk. Leche. Milk for Why? 32 Why? points. God, Why is that, that many? That's ridiculous. Come on. Wait, 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 what? What's this controversy? Why, what? why would that be the number one answer? I said, it's not number I said, one. I said it was the number two answer. The number right. one answer on oh, the board okay. is snot, snot yeah. for 48 points. Okay. So I need 30 something here on this next one. Golly. Okay. I, yeah. I missed the number two. Okay. So as is tradition, you get to pick the third question, the tiebreak question. You ready? Here are your choices, Jay-Z. Choose wisely. Name a smell people hate. Name a job you wouldn't want to have if you worked at the circus. Or name a character from Game of Thrones. Number two. Okay, oh, man. I was gonna say, I was gonna say, if you said the Game of Thrones one, I was gonna have to hurt you and kick you in the shins because there's no way I'd be able to pronounce all the names. <laughs> oh yeah, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. <sighs> okay, so, uh, here we go. Wait, didn't you just? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so Jay Z, name a job you wouldn't want to have if you worked at the circus. Lion Tamer. Lion Tamer. Okay. Alan? Being shot out of the cannon. Okay. Okay. All right. Here we go. I I like this one. This is awesome. This is so awesome. Number six answer on the board. Elephant trainer. Three points. Yeah. Number five answer on the board for four points, tightrope walker. Okay, yeah. Now, here's where I'm really surprised with the both of you, though. Because the number one answer seems so obvious. Clown. Dang it. Janitor. Oh, yeah. See, I thought that. I actually thought that, but I was wondering if anybody else would. Janitor was 55 points on the board. You said clown just now, Jay-Z? Yeah. Clown was the number two answer on the board for 13 points. Oh, man. Dude. Yep. Dang. Number, number four three. answer on the board was Human Cannonball for six points. <laughs> nice. Me. Nice. Real bad. 
Number three answer was Lion Tamer for 12. Right. That yeah. hot garbage. There goes my streak. <laughs> yeah. I should have thought of clown, though. That's my bad. I actually thought janitor. I was like, ah, nobody's going to think of that. They're going to they're gonna think of other stuff. Yeah. And I can't. I was like, four people in the car. I'm like, mm, I don't know. I better drive. <laughs> <laughs> I'll roll separate. Uh, yeah. All right. All right. Well, there goes my winning streak. <laughs> <laughs> all right. You're so close. So my last one, have you guys ever heard of Twilio? Uh, yeah. I had never really understood what it did, like voice stuff. All kinds of stuff that is related to telephones. So if you ever call up a place and you get put on one of those automated, you know, push one to do this and push 12 to do this. And then, oh, do that. That's probably using something like Twilio. They may even have done it in Twilio. So. Okay. It's an, an automation system that you can use, and it's also good for text messaging people, sending emails, doing all kinds of things, but it's usually related to the telephone lines, right? So long story short, I was going to try and set up something that was some sort of automated system like that, right? And and really, it was going to be something fairly simple, Um it was basically like, hey, if you call this particular number, I want it routed. I want it to say something to you specific. And then I wanted it to forward it to somebody's cell phone, right? Dude, that is hard. <laughs> like, I spent, I spent so many hours trying to get that working right. And I got it real close. And, and it's one of those things where I got so frustrated, I just walked away from it. It reminds me of the game Splinter Cell from the Xbox. Like, I got so far in that game, and I got so frustrated in this one point that I walked away from it. I came back to it like five months later. And what I found out is I just needed to turn on my infrared goggles, and I could see the mines in the field, and I could shoot them and then walk through it. And it was literally the end of the game. That's where I am right now with Twilio is... I'm right there at that minefield right before you open the door to the end of the game. Here's the interesting thing. There's a reason why I went this route. There is a uh, a site, another service called CallRail that does exactly what I just told you, right? If you go to CallRail, you can set up something. You call this number, and you can have it forward to another thing, and you can have it do what's called a whisper, which will be like, hey, to be connected to your call, dial whatever, and and it'll do that, right? The part that drove me crazy is call rail. I want to say it was like 50 bucks a month. It gave you 10 phone numbers and, uh, you know, however much usage, but I was like, dude, Twilio's like two bucks a month. <laughs> like, I'm going to code this man. <laughs> Let me tell you. So it's one of those services that is absolutely amazing. They got tons of stuff, but it is 100% for developers to make automated systems. And they have their own online studio thing that you can drag pieces around and do things. But if you start getting outside, it reminds me of EXTJS. Like all the little demos that they show you are really easy. Hey, man, you could do you can do a little form here and you can do something like that. And as long as you stick to that formula, you're good. As soon as you want to do something special, oh, dude. Now you got to set up all these special bins and you got to set up all this special code stuff and these deploys and man can we, can we back up a minute because i'm lost like wh- what was the ultimate thing that you want like 
without talking about Twilio, just tell, just describe like, what was it that you wanted to accomplish? So that's what it was like. So you dial a phone number. So you get this phone number from Twilio. They have like a bunch somebody's of phone calling you, you or you're calling this phone number. So, so think about this. No, right? no, no. Like, Wait, who's calling the phone number? You or somebody's calling no, you? a customer. A customer is going to call your service, right? Okay. Um, so let, let's say that you have a lawn service, right? So you buy a phone number for your lawn service. You're going to put that on a website. Somebody's going to call that. All right. They're going to call that particular number. And what you want to do is you want to forward that to the person who owns the, the lawn service thing, right? But you want to do it in a way to where they're not getting spammed and stuff. So what will happen is when they call that number, it'll pick up and it'll say, hey, you have reached, you know, so-and-so's lawn service. Press five to be connected or something like that, right? And then the person will have to push five. Otherwise, it'll never get connected. So that cuts down, believe it or not, on a lot of spam. And then what would happen from there is that would then dial out to the real phone number, right? So the person doesn't have the cell phone or whatever of the person who owns the lawn service. They have the number of the company that they're calling, right? And so it's a nice way to not be giving out your cell phone number, but to still be able to take in calls. And from that cell phone, you'll see that the call came through that one place. So so I said the thing where, you know, press five to be connected. Then the person that's receiving that phone call, the owner of the lawn service will get something that says, Hey, you have an incoming call from, you know, your website, whatever it is. And then, you know, Hey, press five to be connected. And so both the caller has to do something to be connected. And then the person that's being called gets a notification of where the number was coming from, right? Where the call was coming from. So that was the flow. And it seems like a fairly simple type thing, man. I've probably spent 30 hours like collectively over time trying to get that thing to work perfectly and I'm close, but I never realized how difficult some of these systems could actually be because you have all kinds of weird things that can happen, right? Like if you think about, um, what happens when a phone call is made, right? Uh, did they not press the number after a certain amount of time? Okay. Well, do you have it repeat the thing? Say, Hey, press five again. Do you have it hang up? Do you do whatever? Right. Do you send it to voicemail on the other end? Hey, did they hang up in the middle of it? What happens when that happens? Does it call back? Because that's one of the things I screwed up on is I would hang up and I'd get a call back right after it. And it was like, Oh man, what? I didn't close the loop somewhere. So, um, for those who've never heard of Twilio, it's really interesting. It's kind of cool thing to go out there and look at. But I was truly surprised by how difficult it was to do what I thought was a seemingly straightforward task. And, it, and I don't think it's their fault. I think it's just a very complex system when you start talking about people interacting um, with phones, people that are calling, people that are receiving calls, all the things that happen in between those those handoffs here and there and everywhere. It, it was pretty crazy. So. Yeah, a friend of mine that uh, this was years ago, uh, back in the mid two thousands, he had created his own like switchboard for home, for his home. Wow. Like did all like none of this was you know like off the shelf kind of stuff. Like he had, uh, you know he 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 coded everything himself, but when you would call into the number, you could like, who do you want it? Yeah. You'd press a certain number to talk to whoever you want. And otherwise you would go to like, Oh, well, this is just a spam, you know, uh, bot kind of 
kind of call or something. Right. And, and he was, you know, to your point, he was like, yeah, a lot of, a lot of them would just get filtered out. It's, it's truly amazing. Like when I first started researching this stuff, one of the big things was where people were like, man, I'm getting so many spam calls from, from this number. And, and the answer was make them do something that is feedback, right? You can even have like, I will say like, if you ever want to go look at it, it's a pretty cool thing and it's pretty cheap to play around with. And actually a lot of it's free if you're trying to do development stuff. Um, but they have an interface that's like, Hey, you can talk, right? Hey, either push five or say, um, Johnny, right. And it was really good at the kind of stuff. And you could even take text. Like I had programmatic text come in there that would say things and it would convert it to a human voice. And it was really good. Um, but yeah, it was just one of those things where it's like, Oh, this seems like a really simple thing. And Oh man, (laughs) Oh man, it, it, it's like everything else developer wise. Like you look at something like, you know, anytime that you're given a, a ticket to work on, they're like, Hey, how long do you think this, think this will take? Ah, two days, you know, <laughs> two weeks later, you're like, dude, you're still in meetings <laughs> talking about it. Right. Yeah. So I don't know. It, it was just kind of surprising to me, but also a very, very cool product. If, if, if you've never heard of it and it's dot com. if you're somewhat interested in it. Yeah, very cool. Yeah. Because one of the, like, it's come up in other things, though. Are are they known for anything else? I I see them at conferences all the time. They're developer advocates. Like, I can name a few of their advocates. So, like, they're definitely very active. I just never really understood, like, what the the product did. Well, like I said, a lot of it, it. it's text messaging and all kinds of things, right? So, if if you ever, um, so I was talking about the phone piece of it. But you can totally do things to where it's like, hey, text to subscribe to something, right? Like it, your Best Buy things, right? Like you go buy something at Best Buy and it's like, hey, do you want to receive text messages for for updates on this on this shipment or whatever? They're probably using something like Twilio so that anytime something happens on their end, they call the Twilio back in and it shoots a text message out to you. So um, a lot of those type communications are what they handle there. It's, it's really cool stuff and it's really cheap. If, if you have the ability to program it and do it, you'll save a lot of money over something using like a call rail where I believe like call rail is actually using Twilio behind the scenes, but because they've made the service so easy to use, they're charging a premium for it. Right. Which is, is something similar to what we talked about back in the day where like Amazon has an API, but you can go pay for a nicer API where people have made things a lot easier for you. Right. It's something similar. Huh. So you mentioned like you call and make an appointment that your doctor is like, press one for this, press two for this, press three for hours. And then you get reminders about your appointments and texts and stuff and like, Hey, press C to confirm or reschedule or whatever. So pretty soon you'll be able to call into coding blocks and you can press uh, one yeah. for Alan Right, right. Uh, yeah, it's it's uh, it, it hurt my brain <laughs> a little bit. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> Press the thirteenth digit of pi for Michael. Press. <laughs> <laughs> Press the babillion key for Alan, and I don't know okay. what's what, what's yours, Joe. Uh, number two. Okay. <laughs> we won't dive into that one. Don't know why. Oh, my numbers come up a lot this episode somehow. It has, it has. 
All right, so now it's time for my favorite part of the show. It's the tip of the week. Yeah, uh, so a couple weeks ago, a couple episodes ago, maybe the last one, I don't remember, um, I gave a tip about um, basically Docker mounts you could do uh, using BuildKit. And uh, part of that came, um, or actually the whole thing came out of uh, me doing a usability study with uh, Docker about a product that they just released uh, called Docker Knit. So if you upgrade to the latest version of uh, Docker, I don't know what it is, but if you go get it today, uh, then you'll uh, get a tool called Docker Knit that comes along with it. And you can run uh, Docker Knit. And what it'll do is, uh, I think it only supports Go right now, but they're very quickly adding other ones. Um, it'll walk you through creating a Docker file for your chosen language and framework. And uh, what's super cool about it is that it does it with uh, like back, uh, best practices in mind. So by default, it's going to give you a multi-stage build. It's going to... Um, mount your source code in to be really efficient and keep your uh, image layer sizes small. So not just the final image, but like small along the way. So it's a really nice uh, learning tool in addition to just being like a slick command line interface, which is really nice. So uh, give it a shot and see what you think. Very cool. Next one. Uh, so I just found out about a, ut- a utility called screen, uh, which um it lets you basically do kind of session management. So what I was using for is uh, I would uh, SSH into a machine and then I can use screen and uh, like split my window in half, uh, oh, split yeah. it in quarters. I can um, create multiple sessions and switch through them with like control a, and then I would hit quote and it would list all my sessions and I can go into each one. So it basically was like a kind of shell that would create other shells. Uh, Tmux is a similar program that I used to use years ago that would do it. But I really like the usability of screen. So uh, it would basically be control or uh, yeah, I guess it's control either way. Control A and then whatever that's like C to create or D to detach. And what's really nice is like you can keep it running on that server and uh, you can resume. So if you lose your connection to that server, mm-hmm. uh, then you can come back in and resume and it's going to pick up. It's going to split your windows just like you had it and set everything back up because it uh, keeps keeps track of basically um, what you, what you did to set it up. So it's much nicer than having like a bunch of terminals that like once you shut down, you know, your iTerm or something, you can save those too, but um, it's just a really convenient way of, of doing that. And so I thought that was a really cool tool and it was uh, surprisingly easy to get started, but I found a really nice article, uh, which I think someone dropped the link in. Yeah. It's been so long since I thought about that. When you, I saw it. I saw that you had the word screen written in the notes. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah. where are we going with this? And you mentioned utility now. And, and immediately my mind thought like, Oh, this is going to be something like Mac OS thing. And then as you were describing, it, I'm like, Oh my God, it's this probably thing. been 15 years since I thought about this thing. Yeah. It's really slick uh, and simple. You know, um, you can do control a and then question mark and it's going to show you all your other commands. Uh, so I really like just the internal usability of it. And it's really nice. Yeah, if I lost lost my connection, I was able to get back in and just pick right back up. Which is super nice. See, yeah, I don't know. I I I never got into it, so it was never like one of my uh, like go to kind of tools. You know, like we all have our, our you know, you get into any kind of like Unix like environment, you know, Linux or whatever, and like there's your go to tools and that. And like I knew of it, and I had friends that use it, but I never it never became part of my like uh, daily you know, tools mm-hmm. that I use. And it seemed like at the time back then, when I first saw it, I was like, it just seemed like it was a little, uh, 
like the 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 barrier to entry was a little rough mm-hmm. at the mm-hmm. time. And so that was like part of the reason why I was like, eh, whatever. I don't care. I'll just like, you know, re SSH in, like who cares? Yep. But yeah, maybe it's kind of maybe the documentation is better or whatever. So you know, I, I assume that Tmux was uh, like older and kind of out of favor. But actually, like googling uh, Tmux first screen, it seems like Tmux is maybe even the more popular one as Tmux. So that's probably a, a good tip if you're considering this is to maybe check out Tmux too. Uh, people are saying it's more powerful and a little bit easier to use. So uh, I'm going to be checking out Tmux again because it's been a, a long time. I think when I was using Tmux, I was definitely not a power user, but I mean, it was probably 15 years ago, so it's kind of funny to, to hear that it's still doing really well. Yeah, that's uh, all right. Well, there's a an oldie but goodie. Yep, yeah. links to all those in there as well in the show notes, which will be codingblocks.net/slash episode 208. Yep, and then the last one that I had in there was uh, uh, which called Code Whisperer, which is the AWS uh, alternative to Copilot, which only supports a couple languages. But if you're doing stuff with AWS, then I would check it out. I'm not doing stuff with AWS; I can't vouch for it. I just thought it was interesting, and it just got announced like today. Yeah, that is cool. So, okay, uh, my tip of the week is rather bland and generic, but um, get up, go for a walk. Um, so. I, I, so I, I put a link in here, um, to a thing on Amazon that I found where like, if you already have a treadmill, right. I found an, a, a desktop attachment that you could put onto your existing treadmill and you can use it as a desk. Right. And this particular one has like a platform that can rise, you know, kind of like your standing desk kind of thing. So depending on like what height you want the thing at your, your, laptop or at the time, you know, you might want that. If you don't want it to ever, if you don't ever want to change the height, there are less expensive versions then. But, uh, for me, I I didn't know like what height I might want the laptop at. And so I wanted the ability to like raise and lower because I thought I would want it super high. turns out I actually wanted it pretty low. Um, but, uh, so I bought this as a way to just test the waters of like, Hey, what is life like if, if I decide to walk while, while working? And cause we have, um, you know, coworkers, there's people in our Slack that swear by it. Right. <clears throat> and I, I was, uh, you know, kind of pessimistic about it. I'm like, man, I don't know. Like I want to try it, but you know, some of those treadmill, uh, the, the under treadmill, um, the under desk treadmill units that you'd find, some of them are pretty pricey. I know Alan had one as a tip of the week years ago. Um, and so like, this was my way to like baby step, you know, no pun intended into this to see like, you know, how would I like it? Turns out I absolutely love it. I've had it now for a couple weeks. You know, I, I'll, I only use it for like a couple hours a day. I like I only uh, use the treadmill desk a couple hours a day. Otherwise I'll just go back to my, regular desk, you know, and I figured like, I, I figured my thought was like, well, let's start, uh, you know, you know, a couple hours of solid walking, you know, I'm averaging like five to six miles a day walking good. while working. And I'm like, that That's seems great. like a reasonable, you know, start for it. Right. But the beauty of it is that's like, you know, five, that that's however many calories or whatever that you're burning doing that. <laughs> 
while you were already doing something anyways. And I thought it would be a huge distraction working wise. Like I didn't, I wasn't sure like how well it would work. Turns out it's just fine. I like, I, I can, I'm able to just focus just fine on it. Like it doesn't matter. That's pretty awesome. And yeah, this thing is, he already has a treadmill and it looks like it's really well built. And actually we had recommended this has been years ago during one of the uh, black Friday uh, episodes we had recommended one of these same companies, Vivo's um, desk ones that would allow you to turn a regular desk into like sort of a stand-up desk. It's the same company, and this thing has great reviews. Yeah, and they have, like I said, they have a a cheaper version that doesn't um, change height. And you know, if that's all you wanted, then I think that one is like, I don't know. Let me see. Oh, I found it. It's well, uh, this one's only a hundred bucks. Like it's not crazy expensive for what it is the other one if you just wanted just the tabletop it's 50 bucks okay yeah that, that's that's a good price add five dollars if you want a cup holder that's pretty awesome so so yeah. that's pretty good coming from you saying that like it ended up like because i'm sure we're all a little bit skeptical like man there's no way i can type and do this stuff right um but hearing that that i mean you've been a developer <laughs> for a long time and you just picked it right up that's kind of awesome uh, honestly, yeah. Like I, I acclimated to it like amazingly quick. I, it came in on a Sunday and I thought, okay, well, you know, let me just try it out. I'll, I'll, you know, um, just browse the internet, you know, on a Sunday afternoon while doing it and, and didn't think much of it. Right. And had, and like, you just kind of like forget that you're even walking. You're like, whatever. And then, um, but then I was like, okay, well the real test will be the next day when I like, let's, let's try to concentrate on it immediately, you know? And like immediately I had no problems. I was like right back into like dev life, you know, it was like, you know, slaying dragons. Cause that's what I do. Right. <laughs> so uh, at least one of us does. Yeah. It was, it was awesome. I I've now I'm like, Oh man, do, do I go big? So I, you know, I don't know where I, I don't know what I'm going to do now. You know, <clears throat> I think I'm, I think $1,500 one. I think, well, I think for the time being, uh, you know, I, I don't know that I, I think for right now, I'm going to continue on with this one, you know? Um, and if, if my hours per day on it, like start getting obscene, you know, that's when, you know, I would want to consider. Cause the one difference is that like on a regular treadmill versus the ones that are made for the under desk, you know, usage, those are kind of purpose built to like, not run at high speeds. Whereas the, your typical treadmill is meant to be at a faster pace. You know, it's in, it's engineered to be, it can go at a lower pace, but they typically think that you're going to like go on it for like, you know, some serious exercise. So you're going to run or go to a walk at a fast pace. Um, and the, their, your typical treadmill isn't designed to run, for continuously for hours on end, right? right? Versus the some of the under desk treadmills, you know, they're they're kind of per- more purpose built for that sort of thing. So, um, yeah, I'm going to put a link to the lifespan that I know that you've looked at in the past, and the max speed on that one is four miles an hour. So, yeah, it's it's much lower than than like your standard treadmill. Yeah, I was walking at three miles per hour today. While while on the treadmill, yeah, that's excellent. That's so, cool. 
And and like I said, the beauty of this, like that's that's some great like you know great boost of energy to yourself, you know, because the problem is, you know, this is such a sedentary lifestyle, mm-hmm. like as a software developer, right? Yeah, you know, I mean. <laughs> Yeah, so whatever we can do to like cheat the system, like there we that, that's that's what we do. I like it. All right, so for mine, this one came out because I got we were working on something and we had this really odd thing. So in Kubernetes, everything could communicate with each other except like there was this one pod that like anytime you try and hit it, like it, there was a port exposed, it was just like, nope, can't, can't get there, you know, <laughs> rejected, whatever. And tried several things, kept looking around, couldn't figure it out. So the behind the scenes, longer story of it, and I'll keep it fairly short is we're using the Strimzy operator. We've talked about it before. It's like the, the Kafka um, operator that is sort of like, a, I guess, sort of the de facto one if you're going to use the operator for Kafka. At any rate, anything that it deploys, it kind of wants to to lock down communications so that the operator can communicate with those pods and those pods can communicate with each other. But it doesn't really want anything outside of those pods doing anything to them. And so what it did is Strimzy actually sets up what are called network policies in Kubernetes that – basically disallow ingress from anything except for pods that it controls. So if you ever find yourself in a situation to where you're trying to hit some pod, you know, the things available, you can, you can shell into that pod, you can hit itself. You can, you can do all kinds of things, but for some reason hitting it from another pod's not working. Take a look at the Kubernetes resources called network policies. And there may be one in there that is cutting the ingress into that pod and, and you could do all kinds of crazy stuff with it, right? Like you can, um, these network policies are pretty powerful. I've got a link in the show notes to them. Um, you can set it up. You can do something crazy like, Hey, everything in my namespace can talk to each other, right? Like you can set a global thing for your entire namespace, or you can lock it down by labels. Cause you know, if you've done much in Kubernetes, they like you to use labels for a lot of targeting type things. And you could say, Hey, Anything that has product, you know, e-commerce on it can talk to this, but anything outside of that can't, right? So um, you have a lot of control and and it's not just for ingress. You can set egress rules as well. So, hey, this thing can't talk to anything over there. It's only allowed to talk to database server or whatever. So you have a lot of control and a lot of power over there. So um, if you didn't know about this, it can cause you a lot of problems. But now that you do know about it, it can also help lock down and secure your application. So definitely worth checking out. All right. Well, uh, you know, as I asked earlier, if you haven't already, you can subscribe to us on um, iStitchify. And uh, yeah, you know, leave us a review too while you're at it. Uh, you can find some helpful links at www.codingblocks.net slash review. Yep. Hey, and while you're up there, um, make oh, sure you, you check out. Get away with iStitchify. Okay, go ahead. Well, I knew it was going to happen. That's, that's the name. Yeah, that is the name now. It's been dubbed. Um, yeah, check out our show notes. Um, sometimes have discussions up there, examples, all kinds of stuff up there. And hey, if you're not a member of our Slack community, go up there, codingblocks.net slash Slack, and hit us up and, and all the amazing people up there. And uh, hey, we got a Twitter. Uh, I just tweeted there today. And don't forget, 
if you want to make it to Vue.js in London, um, then you need to use the hashtag that I still managed to forget. I'm not sure if they have a hashtag. But uh, we're going to have it in the show notes for codeblocks.net slash 208. And uh, make sure to just mention us in a tweet about the conference. Use their hashtag and we'll search that and uh, we'll find you and get you some tickets. Yep. 